Your last day of vacation and you found time for a deep tissue massage followed by a long mud bath then a two-hour nap. Because you're an American Express Platinum Guard member and booked your stay at a fine hotel and resort through Amex Travel, which means a 4 p.m. checkout. And those relaxing vacation vibes can keep going at the airport in the Centurion Lounge. Just a splash. Before you board the plane back to reality. That's the powerful backing of American Express. See how to elevate your travel experiences at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. Terms apply. Angie's list is now Angie, and we've heard a lot of theories about why. I thought it was an eco-move. Fewer words, less paper. No, it was so you could say it faster. No, it's to be more iconic. Must be a tech thing. But those aren't quite right. It's because now you can compare upfront prices, book a service instantly, and even get your project handled from start to finish. Sounds easy. It is. And it makes us so much more than just a list. Get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I. Or download the app today. Welcome to Nerdist Podcast number 819. I would now like to share some Nerdist Community Corkboard happenings on from people like you in the Nerdist Community. Uh, you can send your uh, event to events at Nerdist.com. And Katie or Kyle will pull it up and present it to you, the Nerdist audience, for your approval. Uh, This is from the Corkboard. Nerdist recently had another Inkshares book contest, and the winners are almost available to buy. The first book will be out, uh, or actually was out, August 2nd. It's it's called It's All Fun and Games by Dave Barrett. It's a story about six high school friends who spend their weekends with their LARP group, but they soon realize that the fantasy world they imagine has transformed into something real. The second book will be available August 9th, which is my mom's birthday. You didn't need to know that, but wish her a happy birthday on the 9th at Nerdist Mom. Uh, that is Welcome to Deadland by Zachary Taylor Linville. It's kind of a coming-of-age tale set against the backdrop of the desolate land that was once Florida, but now devastated by a widespread disease-threatening mass extinction. Ugh. A little too real. Anyway, they will be available on Amazon, Barnes & Noble, and your favorite independent bookstores. Also, Chris Gomez writes... I work for a post-production sound company called Smart Post Sound. We help create the soundtracks for small shows you might have heard of, like Better Call Saul, Modern Family, Supergirl, The Last Ship, DC's Legends of Tomorrow. Recently, we decided to create a podcast called Smart Post Sound Smartcast. Gives listeners a unique behind-the-scenes look at the world of audio post-production. Uh, for anyone who's ever had any interest in sound or for film or television, this is the podcast for you. Each week, we have in-depth conversations with industry professionals on everything, where they get started, how they got their foot in the door, uh, to some of their sound mixing and editing techniques, tricks of the trade, and so forth. You can find the podcast by searching SmartCast on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, TuneIn Radio. Thank you, Chris Gomez. Thank you, Nerdist Community Corkboard. Thank you, Katie and Kyle. Uh, this episode is Mr. Mike Birbiglia. Uh, a man who I have a tremendous amount of respect for, a comic guy, door writer, director, producer. He's a machine. His work ethic is unparalleled. Uh, and he's also super fucking funny. Uh, he is promoting his movie, Don't Think Twice. It is in theaters now in L.A. and New York. Soon will be expanding to the rest of the country. But uh, please support it. Please support it. You know, guys like Birbiglia go out. They make their own thing. You know, so, so many times people complain about, oh, the movies are too commercial and they're too this and there's too many reboots and it's in that. Hey, fine. If you feel that way, then you need to go out and fucking support people like Mike Birbiglia who are going out there and making shit on their own. Or you need to go out there and make shit on your own. So uh, go to a theater, support the art of film uh, and comedy. And, uh, and go watch Don't Think Twice. It's kind of about, well, he describes it in the show. It's kind of about an improv group that uh, some of them start to become successful, some of them don't, and it's just about the dynamic of the group. Uh, really funny, and uh, Mike is a ridiculously talented individual. And now, here's the Nerdist Podcast number 819 with Mr. Mike Birbiglia for Pete. 
Now entering Nerdist.com. Welcome to the Nerdist Podcast. Our guest today. Nerdist Podcast. Just tuning in. Nerdist Podcast. Nerdist Podcast. You're just tuning in. Mike yeah. Birbiglia. Oh, yeah. Mr. Birbiglia. What number is this? Five? Four? This is probably four. Three or four. I remember when we did the three peat. The three peat. They, they came pretty close together. There's yeah. been a. There's, there's so been this a is the four between. peat or the five we peat. Did yeah. a, we, we, we went to your hotel room once. Yeah, I, know. I remember. We've seen it all. And that the hotel room was actually where I. And I said this when my last special came out. I, I credited you as sort of being the reason that I did the last special the way I did. It's uncomfortable. Yes, because of what Loved you it. said, which is where you say, you know, I go to a place where I'm uncomfortable and that's where I write from. And I thought, you know, I feel like I don't really do that. I just kind of write about other things and maybe I want to explore what makes me uncomfortable. And so that was that's how that whole special came about. Wow. So thanks. I love that special. Oh, thank you. That special is awesome. I appreciate that you say that. I appreciate that. That was, uh, you You were, you know, you've always been very inspirational besides just being a funny human being, but also just the work ethic and the way to approach comedy. And, you know, I mean, there's a real... I think you kind of, when you're young, you have this idealized version of like, well, funny people are just funny. It's like, yeah, they are. Yeah. But there is also a craft to it that you need to work on. Which is a thing that you bring up uh, towards the end of uh, Don't Think Twice. Yeah. Uh, which is just like someone's, like the, like people start talking about the work, work ethic. Like it's yeah. like, oh, you don't have, you don't have that work you ethic because you've that. never had yeah. it. And then uh, you don't have it. Like stuff like that. Yeah. And you know what's a good example? This past weekend I did 28 Ira Glass and I my producer Don't Think Twice and I did 28 Q&A's in New York City at the Sunshine Theater oh my god and um well because we really believe in the movie it's a small movie and it's like well we're gonna stand behind it we're gonna do 28 Q&A's and Judd Apatow in Solidarity showed up just a friend of the film and uh did four of them with us Oh my God! Saturday afternoon, just popped in, did four of them. Was and a moderator. There's a stage. He's gonna find it. But it was. <laughs> but one of the things he he told a great story. He goes, I didn't realize it until now. You know, because the film, if you're if you're just tuning in uh, <laughs> at the <laughs> very beginning, um, yeah, they at have the a randomizer on their podcast. The, uh, <laughs> yeah. um, it's about a, a group of best friends in an improv group, and one of them sort of gets a chance to try out for an SNL type of show, and the rest of them don't. And it's about sort of what happens in friendships when that happens. And Judd told the story. Hopefully, it's okay that I'm telling this. Uh, he said, it's, "I this movie was my life. I lived with Sandler, and we were best friends in LA. And uh, then he got. He said, "Hey, I'm going to Chicago. I'm going to audition for SNL. That's the worst Sandler impression ever. <laughs> I just like I, I went to Kermit. Well, you know, the truth yeah. of the matter is, the you probably, he there. probably just sounded like, hey, I'm going to go audition for SNL.' Yeah. But when you think Sandler, you go, oh, I'm going to go I'm going to go to Chicago. Audition. Am I crazy? I'm going to be on Saturday Night Live. The worst. The three tenors. The three Sandlers. 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 It's Jewish. Groundhog Day. <laughs> we got to get an infomercial for that. Yeah, we yeah. really do. A nymphomercial. Ladies and gentlemen, the three Sandlers. <laughs> I really need an infomercial. A nymphomercial. Hey, do you want to fuck a lot? <laughs> Is it an infomercial Sorry. for nymphos or just a normal infomercial with people that are clearly nymphomaniacs? Oh, I don't know. 
I like that. That's more subtle rather yeah, than yeah. it being like, uh, are you telling me that I can fuck all day long? You know, yeah. as opposed to like, no, no, it's a pan. What's wrong with you? Oh. <laughs> such a such a deep misunderstanding. <laughs> you, don't, you don't have to scrub it. Yeah. I'm sorry. It's an issue I have. So, so Sandler got the call when he was when Judd was living with him, and and Judd said, "I felt sorry for him because." I was like, he doesn't do impersonations. He doesn't do characters. He's not going to, there's no way he'll get it. And he comes back and he's like, I got the show. <laughs> and then <laughs> the three Sandlers. Yeah, was, I'm one of the three Sandlers. I got the show. I got the show. <laughs> um, and then, um, and Judd said, then he stopped performing. Just stopped doing stand up. Yeah. 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 Because yeah. he was like, oh, I'm never going to be as charming and good as that on stage. And so I guess I shouldn't do this. And then, you know, Judd's done a few things since then, but you know, not a lot. Yeah, but you know what? Yeah, but, that, but the thing with stand up, <laughs> I mean, uh, come on, on come on, you guys, let's let's yeah. let's hold some feet let's, to the yeah. fire here. Yeah. He hasn't done that many not things. That many no, things. no, no. And what is did, what do you do? Freaks and geeks or yeah. whatever. Who has a harder time walking down the street? That's what I yeah, want to know. Exactly. Jed, Jed a- 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 Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Nobody even knows the full yeah. name. He did, uh, he did the movie uh, Fat Kids at Camp. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, the, uh, it, it, I, I'm always fascinated to see who, when people start off in stand-up, who really kind of has the, the unquenchable fire of a stand-up. Because I think some people maybe consciously use it as a means to an end. I think some people unconsciously use it as a means to an end. Because the life of a stand-up is an uncomfortable one in terms of it's, you know, it's a lot of travel. You can only get better at it if you do a shit ton of shows. You have to it, suck for a long time. You have long to time. suck, but even after you get famous, then I think people start getting like, oh, if I'm not good, people are going to judge me or yeah. it's going to be weird. Like about how Chris Rock never announces that he's going to perform yeah. around New York because he doesn't want people to come and... I mean, when he's working out material. Yeah. yeah. Not when he actually does a big show. So what do you? where do you land on all that? Because I can't imagine a time where I don't want to do stand-up. I love stand-up. I'm craving it right now. I'm craving <laughs> being on stage and uh, working on new material. And But um, yeah, I mean, I, it's... Um, I don't have the status that Chris Rock and Chappelle and Louis and, those and Schumer have in New York where I can just pop into stuff. So I, have <laughs> I bet to, you could pop I in. I have to like put in avails and stuff. Yeah. It's very complicated. Uh, so, yeah, I, I sometimes do a private – not a private show. <laughs> I do a private show for 10 friends. Um, <laughs> they're honest with me, though. They're honest with me. I, I pay for a lot of stuff, but they're honest with I me. I do like unpublicized shows at Union Hall in, in Brooklyn. I perform at Birbiglia's. <laughs> in in Birbiglia's living room. <laughs> Um, but uh, yeah, Union Hall because it's down the street from where I live, and it's an awesome comedy venue. One of the great American comedy venues that seats ninety people. You, well, know, you guys and you guys, of course, have that. It's one of my favorite venues. Yeah. Well, you know, there there's kind of a renaissance in LA comedy right now where the comedy store is amazing now. Oh, really? And improv is fantastic oh, now, wow. and and so everything's kind of you know, and Meltdown's really fun, and UCB's got two yeah. theaters, and so it's. It's a I'm really, so jealous of Meltdown. It's, it's a good. It's a nice little spot. You know what it is, but I'm it's also that. it's very Meltdown's very spoiling, in the sense that it's so great that you might go other places and be like, oh, this joke really killed. I mean, it's really good. I think it's a great place to try brand new stuff. Well, that's how I feel about anything in Brooklyn. Chris Gathard and I both do 
who's in the movie, both do a lot of stuff in Brooklyn and a lot of stuff in Manhattan. We go to Brooklyn, which I think is your meltdown, yeah. uh, to tell jokes to our friends. Basically. And then we take it to Manhattan for what people think. Yes, <laughs> with the swamp. People who already don't have the luxury of liking you exactly. ahead of time. Exactly. I'd say that's the worst part about meltdowns. Every week I have this safe space I can go and just goof off and everyone knows me and I get laughs. And I forget that if I go anywhere else, it's not the same. And that, that silence is so punishing. Yeah, it's weird other because places. it's like, it's, like well, you, it's me, it's Jonah. <laughs> you know, Wait, me. Is it possible that I could play you the laughs that this got yeah. somewhere else on well, my that, phone? That, You're a Pakistani man that can stand next to me. That, <laughs> that, that, but that's really the uh, that's that's really sort of the allure is is comedy. A lot of comedy is about very much what you said about di- about discomfort and when you get too comfortable in a space i think it's good to balance i think it's good to do all oh, kinds of oh of course of yeah but you know obviously the longer you do comedy it's like oh this feels really good these people already know me i don't have to do as much work it's so easy to get lazy because you know or not lazy i think it just depends on what you want but no you know, i think lazy is right i think the i see specials from certain people who have huge fan bases uh, and i'm uh, uh, <laughs> come on guys come on you gotta dig come it. on don't this throw me under gotcha the bus <laughs> the gotcha comedy podcast <laughs> i didn't see it coming even though it's called the gotcha comedy podcast i thought we were just hanging out like friends <laughs> and then i admitted who were overrated comedians <laughs> I'm so sorry. I, they're just too good. <laughs> it was just too tempting. Let's just see. Well, I, I mean, I, it I'm, happens. I'm hesitant to use the word lazy in the sense that Joan and I have had this conversation, yeah. and, and I said, you know, if you don't really, if you don't really feel like you have to tour and do, you know, like you don't need to do those other rooms. You could just do the rooms where you feel happy and comfortable. You know. Yeah. Like, so, I, but for me, I just feel like I need to feel like I can survive in other spaces yeah i like to do shows like weirdly you know in as a sound comedian you reach a point where it's like you're doing you know small rooms in brooklyn you're doing clubs and you're doing uh, you know maybe a club in cincinnati and you're doing corporates and you're doing colleges and all those things are very different from each other and i even like to think like when I do like a corporate event like that's private for like some insurance company or something like where you literally can't win, yeah, like they literally they like they don't know, never heard of you. Well, you can't they don't even feel bad like about you. that though. But it's but it's I, I I like doing those in some ways to like feel the pain of like okay, so there's like three minutes of that forty that can work anywhere. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but you know what's interesting though is that. I don't think there's anyone who can really work anywhere, and I think that's I think that's I like to call it uh, pre-Vatican II comedy. That's that comedy from the '80s, like before the reform happened, with the where the audiences got savvy. I think there was an '80s style comic who sort of felt like wait, what? But okay, in this, where's the Vatican II? Is it po- the podcast era? No, I think it was. I think it was after the like, comedy bubble burst. So after the comedy, ninety-two. Like oh, okay, okay. Yeah, I think after ninety-two. The, then it, everything became a lot different, and I think that old school like you should be able to go into any room, no matter what, in a moment's notice, kill. Yeah, 
And I, I mean, I think that's a nice ideal, but I do think like, in general... It's like a Boston comedy approach. I think yes. so. Because yeah, I do think in general, not every win. joke works everywhere, you know? Like, it, it's... there. But there is a hum- there's a humanity that you're trying to go towards that you want to work everywhere. Like, I, like I tell a story on my first, one of my first albums, Sleepwalk With Me, about having a bladder tumor when I was 19, and I couldn't crack that forever. I couldn't make it funny, but one, it's like the fun, comfortable concept. Yeah. Like, once you can make that funny, that... Can I curse? That shit works everywhere. Yeah, yeah you can, like, but thank you so much for asking. <clears throat> okay, great. You can. This is the Gotcha Podcast. <laughs> <laughs> Potty mouth, Mike Berbiglia. Oh, man. Shitting on comics, to use his terminology. <laughs> I... I... <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I knew it was called the Gotcha Comedy Podcast, but I just I didn't make the connection. No, yeah, no. They made me swear, which I'm normally not comfortable what? doing. I mean, I, don't, I just lost it in there. It just all fell apart. That, and that's why, and you know, that goes to the thing with my movies. Don't think twice. Is I we wanted when we were testing it with audiences, we wanted it to work with older folks and younger folks. Like the coolest thing was this weekend with the Q and A's. This guy stood up and asked a question. He goes. He goes, I he goes, I'm the oldest person in this room and I wanted to hate it, but I loved it. <laughs> and and Are you he, sure it wasn't an oh hello character? <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm familiar with that show, but um, I don't believe it was. Um the it's no, and, and that was the biggest compliment. I said, What's your question? But he didn't have one. Um but My question is, who am I, <laughs> and how what do I? I... <laughs> no, and it... can you call a hospital? It's so close to that. That's what he sounded like. But that, but that, that was very affirming. Is this idea of like that? It's for old people and young people, and it's for all. You know, that's the goal. You want it to hit. You want everybody to laugh at the human element of it. But do you yeah. feel like if you have something that speaks to literally everyone, then it kind of doesn't say anything? Like, is it possible to speak to everyone and still have substance? But I think that I well, I think that's what. If you want to get real wonky with it, I think that's what's kind of life affirming for comedy nerds about Louis, is that you go, eh, everyone likes him. That's pretty good. I don't like, know if everyone. He's I, really popular and he's really good. Yeah, he but that's, is. That, that's rare. You know? No, I know, but yeah. I think that that's what's. I think that's what's exciting about his rise in popularity in the 2000s is like you just go, oh, okay, it can work. I mean, I think he, you're good and you're popular. I think yeah. he bridges the. I definitely, he definitely bridges the gap. Like he can do alternative rooms, he can do mainstream rooms, but I bet there are rooms that people will be like, why is this guy so? You know, why is he talking shit about his kid? I mean, I feel like. There are people somewhere that would be like, well, that is offensive, you know? Yeah. But I agree. In terms of broadest, like the, someone who can reach everyone, Louis, Gaffigan, yeah. you know? Yeah. Um, uh, I think uh, Bill Burr probably, uh-huh. you know, I've seen him I've seen him win over well, rooms. Well, Kathleen Madigan's like that. Put yeah. her in any room in America. Yeah. Crushes. Yeah. yeah. And I don't know if I... You know, I don't know if I feel like it's necessary for me to be that. Do you no, feel I get like that. it's necessary for you to be that? Clearly, my career dictates otherwise. <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, I don't think it is. I don't. I don't think I. I, I strive for that kind of widespread uh, appeal or success. You know, I think about. You know, some of my favorite bands are bands that no one will really. And I don't say that to say like I like obscure bands. I mean, yeah. 
you know, easy high fidelity. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but some of my favorite bands are bands that no one will ever hear about, and that's fine. It doesn't take anything away from how much I like them. Right. And it's like you know, if you're going to start bringing in, you know, is it is it successful art if uh, if not everyone knows about it if only a few people know about it but they really like it i think that i think that's an ego pursuit i think when people don't like something that everyone likes anymore it's more about them than it is the art yeah because it's more about them going i have a need i need to be addicted to liking obscure hidden things and once they're not hidden it holds no intrigue for me then that then you don't really like that thing you just like the concept yeah. of liking things that no one else knows but that's about. that's from the fans point of view i'm talking about from the the artist point of view like is it bad that you know there's you know for example like a band i really like uh called the weaker thens you know uh a lot of people know them to where they had a, a career where they made a good living off of music but you say that word and no one really knows what you're talking yeah. about it does that take anything away and even the pixies weren't all that popular in their time and now are are, are like one of the great all-time rock yeah, exactly. and roll it's bands. like the, the idea of uh, like Nirvana are, they're more successful commercially than the Pixies but you know creatively is there any difference well i don't know i think it i think a lot i mean i think it's a very complex question with a very complex answer because i think it depends on why the artist does it in the first place. Yeah. Do they do it because they love performing? Do they do it because they want to hear 30,000 people screaming? Do they do it because they just need to be up on stage? Or is it a... I mean, it, it, there are so many different reasons why people do things. Well, I mean, with this movie, I've yeah. been traveling around doing these like free improv workshops in like 30 different cities. So we've been like with my... Uh, with our coach from the movie, Liz Allen, she taught our faux improv group to do improv as a group and created a group mind. And they came to town early and it was this cool thing. And now we're doing these free improv workshops. And then she teaches improv. And then I talk to imp- improvisers about sort of how improv principles relate to directing or acting or any kind of creation. And and I always just say, I think that there's a complete... Um, I think there's a complete misunderstanding of what success is in America. I think success somehow has become equated with um, visibility mm-hmm. and exposure and has moved away from actually what success should be, which is connecting with people mm-hmm. and helping them in some way and yeah. contributing. And I think that as as performers, three of us are performers, and we're all – you th- all, on, on our, our worst days, we probably think of what we do as like a narcissistic pursuit, and we're like, oh, I don't contribute anything. It's actually not true. As a performer, you have the ability at our best, if it's for 20 people at, you know, in a small room, or if it's for thousands of people or millions of people, you have the, connect- you have the ability to take someone's day that was really upsetting and in the world situation right now, disturbing, and make them laugh on days when they, they didn't think they were going to laugh. Well, I also yeah. – and I think, you know, having having performed for 20,000 people at Oddball oh, wow. or, you know, 30 people at Meltdown, they're totally different experiences. But I love performing for like 30 people in a small room Me too. because it's so – it's so intimate and comedy really should be intimate yeah. and being able to connect with individual people and really feeling like, oh, I'm not just talking at you. We're all a part of this thing yeah. right now in this one group and it's really – and that makes it really, really special. It's funny. The, um, 
that dumb cover band thing I do with Mark Hoppus from Blink-182, like, we were playing at a bar downtown and just, like, you know, five cover songs, like a Pixie song, a Descendant song, and just, you know, some uh, stuff like that. And then I, I asked him, I was like, why – why you play stadiums, mm-hmm. you play arenas, like, why do you want to take time out of your day to just do this cover band with a couple other comics? And he's just like, he's like, oh, it's still performing, it's still fun. And like this way, I can actually see the faces of the people I'm playing yeah. to. It's just it's, a, it's a different yeah. dynamic. And and our manager Alex Murray said something once that was that really I liked a lot, which is you know he said he said you know you, it's okay to be a you can be a quiet success. Like I don't think I'll ever play Madison Square Garden. I don't think I'll ever be able to fill Madison Square Garden, yeah. and I don't care. Like I, I you, you mean the worst comedy venue on earth? That, yeah. we, <laughs> that we that we all pretend is the brass ring of comedy. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> oh, you have a laugh? Well, you might as well throw it in the gutter because I'm not going to hear it there. It's the biggest lie that we've told ourselves that yeah. that's the brass ring of comedy. I don't know how that rumor got started. Yeah. I don't know because I think it's just it's kind of what went, you said. I'm not going to say who I went to see there, comic, but I did not. Stay. Say it. Nope. <laughs> gotcha. See who that shitty comic Wait was. Wait a minute. What are you guys doing to me? Nothing. Here? Nothing. We're just asking questions. You're trying to get me to say a comic that I don't think is that good? <laughs> no, no, no. On to a different topic. Last five people you saw at Madison Square Garden. <laughs> <laughs> Let's see. I saw speed rounds. Spring Phoenix. It's not a good venue. The point is, it's not a good venue. I did. I did my last show. Thank God for jokes off Broadway for four months in a 250 seater, the Lynn Redgrave Theater, and I've never felt more connected to audiences in my entire career. 250 seats. I think that's a perfect room. Well, I think it. Yeah. I think it's very telling that you know when Chappelle. We'll do these residencies in San Francisco. He does the punchline. I know. Pops. I opened for him in one of those, and I loved those. I did crowds. too. It was amazing. Yeah. You know, because it's the energy of two hundred people in a packed room. Yeah, I think is better than five hundred people spread out in a large room with high ceilings. And Todd Glass always says that ideal number for a comedy room is like one hundred fifty to two hundred people. Yeah. So easy to make a show. <laughs> It's so easy. You put candles on the tables. Oh you God. put up a curtain. You just make the audience feel intimate. You know what? You want to fucking fail. Fuck you. You want to fucking fail. <laughs> I'd say one of the key That's things oh, uh, is a low ceiling. Like a low, low ceiling, ceiling is key. Because it, it traps in, laughs, bounce like, up and down. You mean like Madison Square Garden? Or like Madison Square Garden. <laughs> Real low ceiling intimate. room. There's but a I, basement I've you know there I, I think Sometimes the basketball players hit their head on the ceiling. <laughs> <laughs> But it's just the games are more fun and exciting. It's a bringer basketball game. You have to bring yeah. if you bring a hundred people, you get to play. Yeah. But Le- I, but LeBron I, is like, oh, I got to play basketball in that comedy room. Uh, <laughs> the one in the basement of the grocery store. Yeah, the that one. On the the sightlines are terrible. But I think there's also something. I think there's also something uh, subconsciously um, subversive about. Like, a comedy room should feel a little dirty, I think, in the sense Mm -hmm. that, you know, maybe we shouldn't be here, maybe we shouldn't be talking about this. That's why some of the the rooms that make no sense on paper are really great. You know, Meltdown is really just a yeah. storeroom, and there are posts in the middle of the room, and the yeah. ceilings yeah. are super Acme, low. Acme, Acme in Minneapolis, yeah. same way, which, Such by the a good way, room. Is it, is it support, stay? if you're listening to this, support petitions online to keep Acme open. Yeah. What? It's one, of those, it, well, it's one of those. Who's trying to close it? Well, it's, it's fucking like, it's the same thing that we talk about in the movie. In Don't Think Twice, the, the beginning of the movie is they lose their lease on their small theater because it's like, it, it is prophetic, weirdly prophetic, the, a Trump building coming yeah. in. Um, but it's happening across the country, sort of the Trumpification of of towns where yeah. they move in condos or whatever to places that 
are cool. The reason they're cool is because of comedy clubs like Acme Comedy Club, and then they, they can't afford the to, reasons. They can't afford to yeah. stay in the place that they made. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's like you know the the, mel- the building that Meltdown is in is. There's always rumors bubbling up because of what's happening in Hollywood. They're just tearing down buildings and putting. Well, the crazy up, thing is, if you yeah. take out all the cool places to go and you just put an apartment, sooner or later people are going to go. Well, it sucks to live here because there's nothing to do, so let's move out. And yeah, but you might get a tender back. greens. <laughs> oh, yeah, really? Yeah. yeah, you might. Oh, the salads are so good. <laughs> But uh, yeah, I mean, like, but rooms like that are always in, uh, yeah. The Comedy Attic in Bloomington is oh, yeah. another example of like it's an oddly shaped room. It's kind laughing of a, skull, seventy five seats. Yep. Yeah, yeah. You know, I mean, it. Th- this idea of quiet success of you know, can you sell enough tickets on the? I mean, I think it really boils down to I've I've really come to define success lately as the most success I think you can ever ask for is uh, are you do you like everything you're doing and do you not have to do anything to do you not have to take any job to survive yeah and yeah. if you if the answer is yes i like what i'm doing no i don't have to do anything to survive and i'm fine that's about you know like no matter what the dollar amounts yeah. are that's about as successful as you because i think we forget we quantify it with money or like you said visibility but ultimately it really boils down to do you like what you're doing yeah you know mm-hmm. and no amount of money is going to make you like Something better that you don't like doing, uh, you know. So I remember a long time ago, uh, I was working somewhere, and some uh, Jason Alexander came up, and people were like, "Whatever happened to that guy, huh?" Right. Like, oh, oh I guess he just on Broadway. Just, <laughs> yeah, and that's the thing. And it goes back to your thing about its visibility that these people are yeah. projecting on. It's like if I can't see him, they're not doing well. But right. like he made a bunch of money on a sitcom, and then he went and back to just doing stage stuff, yeah. and he's probably pretty happy. Yeah, I unless mean, he needs the visibility. <laughs> Well, the visibility isn't really – it's just sort of a weird business because, it, you know, the visibility helps in the sense that you might get um, more work opportunities because, you know, companies, networks, whatever, film companies, oh, I, oh that guy is in well, – I've seen him and stuff. Let's yeah. get him in a thing. Let's get him in a thing. Yeah. So it does provide more opportunities. But in terms of any kind of real value that it has, it doesn't have any – like. There's no real value or substance to being in a lot of magazines or tabloids or whatever. And even, you know, I even think in in, in Schumer's case, I think it probably is not fun for her because she has started to appear in tabloids. And now she it's tough for her just to be the comic that she was because everything is put under a microscope. And it yeah. seems like... I was on tour with her for Trainwreck last summer and... Right. It was like traveling with the Beatles, and where people would like it would be the cliche of like people like banging on the window of the SUV kind Jeez. of thing, it's, or like the guy who wild. like I yeah, did not envy kind of that. grabbed her yeah, and was like, "We, I own you. You need to take this picture <laughs> yeah. with me." Like, well, she's a human being, and yeah. she's not. That's why I like really respect people like, and if people aren't familiar with him, look him up. Uh, Daniel Kitson is a oh yeah, UK Kitson, yeah, comic, British comic, yeah. one of the greats, and. He doesn't do TV specials. He doesn't do talk shows. He just decided a certain – and he's extremely popular. Yeah. One of the most like highly regarded comedians in the world, but most people haven't heard of him. Right. He makes a great living. Yeah. Although the UK, I think UK comedy, I'm always a little jealous of it because basically yeah. – Long form pieces. And well, not only that, but the, but the, but the landmass, <laughs> you know, it's like – you know, if, if you could just perform in California yeah. and you could hit – you could just keep touring. No, I know. Jimmy Co- Jimmy Carr was it was a while for a while was doing two hundred dates a year in theaters all over the UK, and he wasn't leaving the UK. Yeah, God damn, everything. Yeah, everything's probably... just a few hours away by train. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but you know, 
a lot of the stuff, uh, the, the idea of success and, and what people want out of performing is talked about in Don't Think Twice. Yeah. Uh, where every, you kind of uh, took a improv group and each one of them have a, has a different idea of what it what they want to do creatively yeah. and, and what it takes. And that, uh, like, did you kind of just base that off of different facets of your own ego or like people that you uh, think about? It's, it's definitely, it's definitely pieces of me. Like when I look, like who I aspire to be is like Gillian's character, Sam. Yeah. <laughs> like just she, like let's do it for the full reason integrity, of doing it. full artistic. She's like the the you know the 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 heir to Dell uh, Dell Close kind yeah. of thing. Yeah. yeah, and then and then Keegan's character is very ambitious, and, and yeah, I have that. I directed two movies for God's sake. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> you have to have some ambition. Yeah, well, yeah, that. and legendarily, you're the guy who rented an office and said, "I'm going to write from nine to five like it's a job," <laughs> and <laughs> you know, and and really treat it. Seriously, and not just, you know, hope that I come up with stuff. Yeah, but you did also have that guilt that comes with success, like leaving, you know, some friends behind. Yeah. With, where the character, they're like, oh, we're all going to check out this new theater space. And he's like, maybe I don't go right now to the TV show. Right. You know. Yeah, I mean, I, I was, the idea came out of this thing where after I directed Sleepwalk With Me, I was kind of, I'm sure you guys do this after you finish like a big thing, you're like, how did that happen? Yeah. Like, you look back and you go, how did I complete all those things? Because directing a movie is, like, unimaginably difficult because you're essentially executing nine art forms simultaneously on the screen between music and acting and sound design and, and uh, you know, production design and photography. And you're like, how the heck? I, I'm not equipped to do that. How do I know how to do nine art forms? Well, a lot of it was from taking, you know, being in an improv troupe my freshman year in college. And learning, you know, Sharna Halpern came to campus with Improv Olympic and taught workshops. And we learned, like, say yes. And it's all about the group and all these principles. And I'm like, oh, that's how I knew how to direct a movie. Because I knew I had in my bones from when I was, like, a kid that collaboration is key. And, like, listening is key. And so I veered back towards doing a regular show at the Upper Citizens Brigade in New York um, with Chris Gethard and Tammy Sager, who were in the movie, and then on any given week, it would be like A.D. Bryant if she was around, or Vanessa Bayer, or like Connor Ratliff. Yeah, I've been thinking about doing that out here for. <clears throat> yeah, years. I miss it so. I much. love it. I love it because yeah. it's not, you know, you don't prepare. It's yeah. you know, you, you just it might go well, it might not go well. It costs five dollars. No yeah. apologies if it's yeah. not good. Yeah, um, I love that aspect yeah. of it, and. Um, and then I started doing this improv show, and then my wife made this observation when she saw us one night. Um, I think it was like that night. It was like a really great. It was like Ellie Kemper and AD, Brian, like a bunch of people. And my wife goes, um, it's amazing to watch this group because you're – everyone's sort of equally funny and talented, but yet like she's a cast member on SNL, and she's a movie star, and this person it lives on an air mattress in Queens. And, yeah. and when she said that, I just thought, oh, my God, that's a movie. I just wanted to see that as a movie. And so I just started writing it kind of feverishly over the course of, you know, a few months. And then after I had a draft, it was over the, refining it over a year and a half. And Were you, doing, were you writing it while you were doing Thank God for Jokes? Yeah, yeah. Because uh, that was like a pretty down-set show. Yep, yeah. So, well, I, I did 100 cities with Thank God for Jokes, and then I sat it um, off-Broadway. So it was set. Like year. you could just show up and do the show. <clears> I so could, your yeah. days were kind of, your brain was a bit more free. Yeah, and I would write, you know, I would go to a coffee shop from like 7 a.m. to 10 a.m. and and write. I always try to write before I'm afraid of the world. 
that's a great way to say that. I yeah. shut off my internet. I shut off the email, and I tried to write. You know, the, I think it was a Ginsburg lines like first thought, best thought. Just like put it on the page, like whatever, whatever comes out, and then figure, and then edit later. It's like the the Hemingway thing, like write drunk, edit sober. Yeah, uh, you know, and I don't drink, but. Like that, but um, I don't like drink that. like Hemingway. Yeah. But, uh, <laughs> More like Mickey Mantle. But, uh, <laughs> but uh, you know, in my case, it's like write sleepy, yeah. edit awake. Um, it's, you know, really, I try to write early before I'm like, I literally am not fully awake when I'm, I was writing this screenplay. I was, that's when I, some of the best stuff oh, wow. comes out. I, it's funny to hear you say when you finish a big thing like that, you go, how did I do all that? I, my first thought is always... How do I do that again? Like yes. I have no idea how I'm going to do that again. I've yeah. maybe I'm out of, and I think one of the fun things about having done comedy for so long was getting to that point where I was like, oh, you know, uh, jokes aren't all that precious. You know, it's mm-hmm. like they're, you know, some of them work, some of them don't. Yeah, one doesn't. You, you know, maybe I don't. You know, it's it's thinking I should know all of the jokes in the world now. And not, hey, man, I'll, I'll discover some tomorrow, next week Well, that's week what pe- people keep asking me in yeah. interviews, what, what's next? And I just say, I'm going to hang out with my wife and daughter for a while. <laughs> yeah. we, Is that, I don't, we don't have a title for it. <laughs> Life, I think. Right? But we do. We did start a Twitter account. Uh, <laughs> yeah. There's going to be some Instagram videos, yeah, daily, some Snapchats. Vlogs, uh, we have a development deal. Yeah. This will, it's, it's funny because I have a hard time being in Los Angeles. Um, which is where we are right now. Uh, that explains the I fidgeting and the irritable. <laughs> no, no, I'm relaxed. Uh, You're well, I just starting have, to undress. I have a hard. I analyzed it because you know I have a lot of friends here, you guys and Mulaney and Kroll and a bunch of people, and I I sort of analyzed it and I realized that it's it's Hollywood itself that I have a hard time in because you. Because you're looked at for what your value is, right? And I have a very low value. <laughs> I don't make people a lot of money. And so it makes me feel bad when people treat me based on my value. And so, you know, I'm staying with friends in Manhattan Beach and we, my wife and daughter and I go to the beach in the morning, like at eight o'clock. And then I head here for work. It's a long drive, but it's like we get to have like. Well, let me ask you this, because you you have that career track where you you genuinely work on stuff you care about and you make stuff that you love and. It it and it all does. I feel like it does well, actually, because you 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 know, like you get to keep doing. Yes, no, and, and that's so, the bottom line. It's but it's doing be, well enough that I get to make more. But it'll be one of those things where I bet eventually. <laughs> I know where this is going, <laughs> but but that I'll sell out in some way, and the studios will say, you know, what you could do is make a movie for thirty no, million. No, 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 no. no. I think I think what'll end up happening is one of these things you make is gonna catch fire in a way where it's like Mike Birbiglia was nominated for an Academy Award for this thing you know and then all of a sudden all of those value hunters are, are going to yeah. knock on the door and so how yeah. are you yeah. are you going to be okay with that will you process it will you reject it will you embrace it can you compromise with it it's a, it's a great question and uh, I, I think that ultimately I think you have to do what you love and not what you like in order to make to continue making something you're proud of. Like whenever I like send some, you know, if I say to my Twitter followers or my Facebook friends, like, like I really would appreciate it if you come out to this, I make sure that it's like 
really, really good or it's the best I can do. Yeah. And I feel like that's a sacred bond in some ways. Like your relationship with your fans is like it's it's it matters if the stuff you're putting out is good. And I've kind right. of leaned away from doing stuff that I can't put my name on at all. And so as long as those pe- if those people come knocking on my door, what I'll say is the same thing that I said to, you know, this movie has a higher budget than my first film and I, you know, I wanted yeah, I'd love to make a movie with you guys. It's this awesome company, Cold Iron Pictures and Film Arcade. Um, I need to have final cut in the movie. Um, I need to have final approval of actors. Like, there's all this stuff that, in, in even like, I final cut of like trailer and poster because I can't handle yeah. people like marketing in a way that makes me cringe. Right. You know, sometimes you see like great comedians and then their poster for their thing is just like, ooh. Yeah. Right. <clears throat> That's kind of painful. Yeah. Well, especially <laughs> if they don't. Which one would you think uh, is painful the most? I, no, I, yeah. You must have was, a yeah. top five. Wait, what are you guys? No, do? I'm just saying like, nothing. Was it like maybe one for like? No, was no, it like a Madison Square Garden poster. Oh, you're or? trying to get me the. No, we're just having a conversation. Yeah. we're just trying to find we're, out we're what you friends. like. It's us. You know, like, yeah, the other two Sandlers. Yeah, it was a Chris Hardwick poster. <laughs> what? I got you! Oh my god, no! I fucking knew yeah, it. Yeah, I knew it too. And I got him, and now I feel bad. <laughs> it's, a, it's a fun, comfortable poster. <laughs> that was my only way out of this. <laughs> because we're looking into each other's eyes. We're staring at each other's eyes, yeah. Oh, that was... Uh... You know, I just got back from Comic-Con, and that was the thing you just said made me realize why I cherish experiences like like... Comic-Con is, I feel like, so... And it's also one of the reasons why I've been playing so much Pokemon Go is that so many of our experiences are, are conditioning us to isolate ourselves from everyone. Yes. Even, even, even though you're connected to billions of people ostensibly on the, on the internet, uh, you're still really just... Al- you know, like a lot of times you're, you're interfacing with it alone and you're interfacing with a machine and text. It's all very cold and, you know, it's very depersonalized. And so I, experiences where you... You have to go out and interact with people and look them in the eye and engage yeah. and be part of a community, which is very much in the spirit of improv. Yeah, it, I feel like is really. I mean, it's effort, but I feel like it's really, really, really important. It's so important. I I always say whenever we are out doing these improv workshops, like I, like there's this line from there's a great oral history book of the history of Second City and the Compass Players. It's like this thick. Yeah. It's called Something Wonderful Right Away, and it's got like you know. It's a good good thing to have on your on your nice tent because it'll be like a chapter of Alan Arkin talking. Yeah, yeah. A, a, ch- a chapter of Elaine May just talking. You know, and it's really candid because it's from like 1981. Mm-hmm. It was like before they knew to censor themselves, <laughs> <laughs> so they'll like throw each other under the bus. It's like Ann Mira and Mike Nichols oh, and man. all these people, and there's you know Severn Dart and all these people saying like some pretty critical things but but they're all i think it was paul sills who said and i completely believe this is like any on any given night anywhere in the country whether you're in phoenix or san francisco or chicago you can create on stage with improv or and this goes for any you know piece of theater you can create these the best performed best written most topical provocative and thoughtful piece of theater that exists that night anywhere on earth yeah and and that's pretty powerful to think about that opportunity. Well, and yeah. because a lot of it has to do with, and also you know, if you do, it's the same. If do you do, you don't really do you do you don't do any crowd work. Do you do much crowd work at all? 
I did in my Thank God for Joke show. I did a bit where because I talk about being arrested and I ask people if they've ever been arrested, <laughs> and so it's fun. Yeah. Every night it's a different person being arrested for something. It's a great story. Well, improv awesome. is all basically an extension of crowd work. Yeah, and and what's if you do a lot of crowd work, which I which I do, you find that it can be hard to follow your crowd work with your written material because oh my god, your crowd work and the improv. Is all about that group, that moment in time. It's all about that moment in time. And yeah. Most now you can get. Yeah, and it makes it really <laughs> special. You know, the, especially with an improv, it makes it really special because that's all. It, they're all. It's all happening together. The yeah. entire lifespan, the birth of the thing. You know, it's all the way through its death at the end. Yes, it's all right yeah. there. And I, just, it's. I feel like it's harder to. I mean, I feel like it, that's so. That can be so much more special than. Writing something and hoping that people connect with it in a way. Yeah, there was a I, you know last night I watched Don't Think Twice and I followed it up with the the Thank You Del Thank You Del documentary. Oh yeah, that's a great one. Yeah, it was a nice little improv movie. Todd Bieber's documentary. Yeah, it's fantastic. But there is a there is a uh, footage of Dell uh, directing a show at and like George Went is in it. I think Tim Kazarinski. That's is right. In it. Yeah, oh he's directing a show yeah. at Second City. It's and got he, great uh, footage. It's amazing. Like tons of stuff and like a cool story within it about this group from Missouri that came out to do the Dell Close Marathon. It's a really great movie. Uh, but like, there's this amazing moment where uh, Dell comes up and he's like, all right, let's run it again. But just, and this is going to sound silly, but let's try to remember that we improvised this at one point. And yeah. let's try to remember <laughs> yeah. that it was like a real live thing. A live thing, thing. Yeah. yeah. And that's, uh, and I want to know, like, with the movie, the improv scenes that you guys did, you had some good angles on it and they looked like well lit and, yeah yeah sure and, but they still felt that they were real the, improv the, so. the, the goal was you know with my cinematographer joe anderson is like we wanted to shoot improv a way that it's never been shot before we shot it steady cam on the stage from the perspective of one of the other improvisers so it feels like a dance sequence or a fight sequence and yeah. so these feel like your friends and then in terms of like what was improvised and what wasn't we basically i had written out the improv scenes and then while we were in those costumes we would just do real improv for 10 minutes in each costume Perfect. and so it's, that stuff is sprinkled in but when you work with chris gethard and tammy sager it's like lights out it, it can be so yeah. hard it, it's so challenging to capture improv on camera because it's kind of like it's kind of like shooting a magic trick i know where people feel like there's something in their brains that goes, oh, but it's shot, so it it's probably like they lose that sense of the magic of the moment. Well, the key for the that you're right, and that's what we're we're trying to make the improv more about friendship than about comedy. Yeah. So, in other words, that that the that that it doesn't really matter if the improv is funny. Yeah. But it matters if it feels like these are our friends because yeah. the movie is a lot about friendship and it's about how. How often, you know, friends like when I was writing the movie, I wrote this phrase on my wall. I wrote, uh, "Art is socialism, but life is capitalism." (laughs) (laughs) That make yeah, it makes perfect sense. No one ever says it in the movie, but it was like the guiding principle for all the scenes. It's like what what's a movie like that? Like where you see that like this group of best friends, which is like they're called the commune. Um, what happens when someone gets SNL? Someone, you know, is getting opportunities that other people don't, and and so the friendship is the key because I think that that's, you know, I what I'm finding is like people in their 20s and 30s are seeing it and they're like, oh, that's like my life, and that's kind of crushing. Yeah, it was, uh, it was, some things were pretty brutal. 
like, pretty just like, oh. And then, and then some people are like 70 or 80 and are like, oh, that's what my life was like in my 20s and 30s. Yeah. And they, like, it, I want it to feel like your friends. Yeah. So that's why we sort of filmed it in that way. But uh, yeah, I mean, it's what's funny is, is like I we were talking before about like what's popular versus like what you like. I think that's what, yeah. how you framed it is like or what's good. Yeah. And or I feel like to you. one of the goals of this movie was make a film that I want to see. And I feel like movies that are dramatic and comedic are not really greenlit in the studio system right now. Yeah. Um, I feel like movies like The Big Chill and Hannah and her sisters and, and broadcast news are like they, in the 70s and 80s, they used to be studio films and now they're indie films. Yeah. And it's like kind of a bummer. Like even a movie like Almost Famous is like, I feel like that movie's not being made right well, now. Well, because the studios yeah. are run by marketing departments yes. now and I think they don't know how to market something like that. Well, how do we market? Is it, you know, Yeah. Um, who's the worst improviser in the group? Oh. Gotcha! <laughs> it starts with an O or has an O in the name. <laughs> Uh, no, you, you know who's amazing though in the movies. Gillian Jacobs had never improvised before, and she's phenomenal. Really, she's re- she never improvised. But not really. She was phenomenal. Yeah. I mean, really, because whenever she's been on At Midnight, she's fucking amazing. Yes, amazing. She's like a classically trained actress. Yes, right? yeah. she went to Juilliard. Yeah, famously had a. She wrote a, a piece for Lena Dunham's newsletter, Lenny, right. about her stressful experience at Juilliard. She never. She was like, they kept threatening to cut her out of the program and stuff. Oh, really? She had a really rough time. Oh, she's so funny. Yeah. She's unbelievable. I think she's like on her way to being like a major movie star. See, same yeah. with Keegan. I feel like Keegan Michael Key and Gillian Jacobs. I got so lucky that I'm just like, I. I, I caught them right before they're gonna i mean keegan's already kind of a major star but they were great their relationship felt really real uh and you know i i enjoyed that scene towards the end of the movie that they did uh where it was like the really emotional scene yes. scene. uh and it was just I, it's funny because when i when it first revealed that they were together i guess i because i like know them both i was just kind of i was like oh that's, they're kissing <laughs> like they're they're kissing, kissing. Uh, but then, like they, they're such grounded, and that's what makes them such good comedic actors is that they ground everything in like the the most truth. But Keen's uh, yeah. a classically trained actor before he was a sketch comedian. Well, the I think Gosh. part of the yeah, part, I think <laughs> I know right. <laughs> well, that's yeah. like by, by the way, the, I saw um, on uh, Obscure Media, which is a subreddit that I adore. Yeah, someone posted uh, a 1985. It was Tom Brokaw was doing a story on uh, Jim Varney. He was doing a story on Jim Varney, who's the Ernest, and uh, it was right when the. Wait, is this the same guy who did Three Sandlers? This is the Three Sandlers guy. He does Brokaw also. Yeah, we're the two Brokaws. I have a lot of rain from Brokaw to Three Brokaws. I don't know about that. After the break, so <laughs> they showed this. So it was right when the Ernest commercials took off, and it was done. When you see how they were made, it's, it's very much like how kind of like you know the viral low end campaigns are right now. A guy came up with a character who's not Jim Varney. He they shot all the stuff at his house, like in South Carolina. Mm. But there's all this footage of Jim Varney doing Shakespeare, and it is fucking incredible. Yeah, he is, in a, and even at the very end, he does this in, this soliloquy, and then looks down at the camera and goes, "Know what I mean?" Oh, and it, oh and my god! And it's so mind bending. But you realize, you know, it's 
sort of what what makes really great artists great is that you don't you don't see the infrastructure behind that you don't see and, all it's it's and so of course Larry, of course Larry the cable guy is a yes of course classically, yeah, classically trained yeah he was in the footlights <laughs> <laughs> he oh he played the Guthrie for years yes <laughs> You mean Sir Lawrence, the, the cable fellow? Sir Lawrence, the cable fellow. Sir Lawrence, the cable yes. fellow. Hashtag Sir Lawrence, the cable fellow. But I think please be finished. That's you know, get her done. I think part of what the <laughs> please hashtag go on, go on, go on. But I think I think part of this idea of of art being socialism and life being capitalism is that the the capitalism part is kind of where the ego lives, mm-hmm. and I think. You know, I think part of the artist's main struggle is is really kind of dealing with the ego stuff, yeah, and and getting it out of the way or feeling out how, feeling figuring out how to make friends with it or figuring out how to compromise with it, because all those issues, you know, uh, all those issues that kind of arise, especially when a group, which is essentially a band, yeah, starts, you know, it's it's a lot of the ego stuff. You know, how can you not feel, oh, he's getting a little more attention than I am, or she's getting a little more and it, weird. And also there's this sense of, like, there you have to realize at a certain point that if you're trying to get to the top in art, there is no top. Literally. So it's the top yeah. of what? Of what? And so, it, like, there's – I was I heard this interview once with the guy who wrote Beautiful Girls and a lot of other stuff, like a bunch of Nick Cage stuff. And he was saying – he was in a, uh, Nick Cage's, like um, – trailer like in arizona on a movie uh in the 90s and it was right after like leaving las vegas maybe he won an oscar is nominated for an oscar like top of the world doing like studio films and films with integrity and being nominated for awards or winning awards and uh and like a tv commercial came and they're they're in a trailer that literally he said at the time was bigger than my apartment in new york city (laughs) and there's like nick cage they turn on the tv and there's a commercial for tom cruise and in in some movie or whatever and and he's like, how am I not Tom Cruise? Oh, oh my man. God. That is – it's a uh, – Dimitri Martin told me a story once where he was talking with um, Albert Brooks. And then uh, Steve Martin came up and Albert Brooks got visible. Are there upset. more name drops in this story? There could yeah. be. No, no. Jonah cause... was telling that to his friend Mark Hoppus in Blink-182. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That was that, – that, uh, that made sense in the conversation though. Yeah. And so yeah. does this. Yeah, of course. Uh, sorry, a friend of mine was talking to Albert Brooks. <laughs> what, do you, what do you guys do when you hear that? Who's your friend? Uh, yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> who gotcha. was the guy who yeah, came up? It. Gotcha, Jonah. Yeah. But you know, I think I think it's part of it is um, you know. But hold on, hold on. Finish he, my thing. He's got. He, you oh, got to let him tell yeah. the story that or the name drops seven people. It was. It literally is it, it, in context to everything we're talking about. Yes. But it's. Uh, uh, sorry, my friend wasn't on set with fucking Nick Cage. I, I heard. I don't know why you're attacking Mike. He was just telling a story that totally made sense within the context of the conversation. So does this. <laughs> it would be. It would be. It would be funny if you guys had a separate Nerdist podcast that was just like inappropriate segues. Yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> Where it's just like here's the footage that got cut out. Yeah, yeah. That would be most because... of the episodes. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, we record like three, four hours of this yeah, and yeah. we just cut out to the most usable and fifty the, And then the real nerds are like, you know what's actually great is nerdist inappropriate aside. It's even yeah, yeah. it's better. It's exactly. much better yeah, than the real better. show. Yeah. But the fact is um Albert Brooks uh like Steve Martin came up 
like in conversation, and yeah. he he got visibly upset. He's like that motherfucker. Like he, he you know, they're both comedy legends, right. but he still has an issue against Steve Martin. Oh, well, God. I think to this day, I think oh, it God. probably you know, it, I humans measure gains in terms of relative gains. Sure. It's like they Absolutely. don't... Absolutely. Uh, humans don't really... I don't think they really appreciate absolute gains. Yes. You don't You don't go... You know, if someone gives you $100,000, you go, oh my God, they gave me $100,000, and you find out they gave your neighbor $200,000, you'd be like, oh, oh, why did he get 200 You know, it's like people are just kind of wired that way, and I, I don't know what the... I'm sure there's some... Bio- I'm sure there's some sort of evolutionary function to... Maybe it's... Chris Gethard always says... He goes, if you know, when you look at your friend who, who your neighbor who has an in ground pool, you're like, how come I have an above ground pool? Right. Yeah. It's so <laughs> stupid, but we all have this weird jealousy thing. I don't, you know, I think part of it is, I think honestly, part of it is this the, the, the need to kind of be a part of a community, but also be significant in your community. Yeah. Because there is, there is that. You know, and maybe it's just all mating ritual stuff. It's like, oh, if I am significant, then I will attract the best mate, and I will. Oh, yeah, appreciate, could be. Yeah. I will spread my my genes will be the most dominant genes, and you know, maybe that just trickles down to shit like that, and maybe that's what that is. It's just a sort of an outcropping of that dumb, you and, know. And the fullest realization of that is orphan black. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> seventeen clones of oneself, yeah. all the clones, all the time. But you know, I don't know. It's like, how do you kind of wipe the ego stuff out of the out of the way and focus on the work? I try to, but it's you know, obviously, I made a whole movie about jealousy. It's on my mind, right? <laughs> Are you particularly jealous of something at the moment that you're dealing with? No, I weirdly feel thanks to the folks you know who have seen the movie and have come to the shows in the last few years. Like, I, I weirdly feel like I'm completely content, and as long as I can just keep making stuff like this and. um yeah, I, I mean, I feel like for a long time I was frustrated because I hadn't sort of – I hadn't found it, what it is I'm sort of meant to do. I feel like now I'm like, oh, okay, this – I'd like to make movies and, and solo shows and specials and kind of that's what I do. Do you think it's good – I feel like there's some part that's good – because I, I do think there is a form of competitiveness that's good. Yeah, I, absolutely. When it when it makes you strive to be better, I think it's good. When it yeah. makes you crush, yeah. try to crush people and salt the earth, then it's bad. Or yeah. when it leads to jealousy and rage spirals and hate, you know, then it's then it's all bad. But I do believe because I, you know, I, I know, I know without naming them, and don't try to get me because I'm the host of the Gotcha Podcast. I'll keep an eye on it. <laughs> I know, <laughs> I know comics who have played the coveted Madison sure. Square Garden. Yes, the best comedy room. The in best America. comedy the best. that we've all the agreed. The tallest ceilings. Yeah, the tallest ceilings. The finest bathrooms. And the longest, <laughs> and the name is long. Good popcorn too. Yeah, uh, that's what I want in a comedy show. That they, that they will kind of go like, oh, but you know, I'm not. Zach Galifianakis, or I'm not someone who, or I'm not someone who can do like the alternative rooms, or I'm not. There's always something, but is there an element to that that's good because it always makes you strive to to be better? Hopefully, I think so. I think I think you know, and that's the like the Malcolm Gladwell theory of of uh, the two books ago. I'm forgetting the the uh, tipping point. Uh, no, the other blink? one. The uh, blink. Uh, no, the, 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 dog, the dog outliers. Outliers is all about like groupings of people, right? Who who force each other to kind of rise up, yeah. like you know, get be better than the other person, and that person tries to be better than that person, and, and the competitiveness actually does create good pockets of art and science and whatnot. Yeah, but do you think it's competition or uh, 
inspiration they don't want to admit to. What do you mean inspiration you don't want to admit to? So it's, if it's someone, if if it is, it could be competition. You mean but Carlos someone... Mencia's inspiration? <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I meant. Uh... No, no, no. It's just uh, Jonah's talking to you know one of his friends, like yeah. you know Catherine O'Hara or Albert Brooks. Okay, or yeah, these are close personal friends of mine. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and they're a part of my life. So it's weird that you would make fun of me for bringing them up. You keep on saying Chris Gethard, a man that I DM'd with two days ago. Oh, wow. <laughs> oh fine, yeah, Jonah, yeah, yeah. you know oh. him too. Yeah. Look at. I've it. met him. Yeah. <laughs> He's been on at midnight. Yeah, he has. Uh, <laughs> I was, that was me struggling to remember what I was going to try and say. Well, you were talking about uh, how you're... Oh, yeah. So everyone's doing stuff at the same time. Is it competition? It's like, I'm going to be better than that person? Or it's like, hey, I kind of like what they're doing. Uh, I might try to do something like, uh, like in the same way. I think that happens all the time. Yeah. But is it... Is, I see. Yeah. Does it have to be competition, though? Does it have to be I'm going to best you? I don't think competition is inherently good or bad. I think it's I think it's how you I think it's what your intentions are, yeah. you know? I think there is healthy competition to that's really amazing. That in turn inspires me to to try to be better for myself or to try to see if I can reach higher than I thought I could before. Yeah, you even look at like the 2000s of uh the comedy boom and a lot of it it goes back to Dane Cook. Yeah. Uh, he was the first of all of these folks to be like, of all these comedians, to be like, I'm going to connect with my fans on the internet. Yeah. And then you, then if you track back, you go, would Louis C.K. have been as popular if he didn't notice what Dane Cook was doing with his fans on the internet? So it all goes back to him. Does it? I don't Vision know. Zero? I don't know. Does it? I mean... Yeah. I, I mean, I know that there's a lot. I mean, there's that great Dane Louis episode, yeah, where you know they're fr- you know they have frustrations with each other because I think in real life Louis trashed Dane on something. Like people on YouTube were putting their bits side by side. Is she asshole that, or something? Yeah, yeah, and and they were saying Dane stole from it. But uh, meanwhile, my my wife made this observation that was one of the things that that um, <clears throat> inspired me to write the film was when she came to my improv show. She was like. Uh, one night she goes, your stand-up friends are so mean to each other, and your improv friends are so nice to each other. Yeah. <laughs> and I just thought, I said, I was like, it's true, but it's more complicated than that. <laughs> I think it's, with improvisers, it's a little more under the surface. Yeah, it's like Minnesota nice. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah or Chicago yeah. nice. Yeah, 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 Midwest. It's Midwest nice. But I think with improvisers, it's like, it's very competitive, a lot of people vying for the same stuff. Yeah. Um, but stand-ups will just straight up go after each other. Yeah. I get – well, stand-up is definitely the uh, – it's definitely the, uh, you know, the solo act versus the band. Yeah. You know? I mean, al- although in an improv group, though, whereas a band might have different members who are more in the background or more in the foreground, an improv group really is kind of a – it's an really, organism. It's an organism. It's yeah. A, it's a fu- and it functions exactly the way it does because of that group of people. Yeah. And any 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 rotating in or out changes the chemistry of the group. I saw this group this week at UCB Theater in New York at a Herald Night called Women and Men, and we had actually Liz Allen and I had done a little workshop with them like a few weeks ago, and I was just like, oh, they're too good. Like they're going to break up in like uh, three weeks. Like you sometimes you see an improv group and you're like. They can't last do you because think, they're too good. Should an yeah. improv group last, or do you feel like that it should 
that they all sh- that it is an experience of a period of time. And I think they all- I think it's an experience of a period of time. I mean, you look at yeah. like I look at my favorite like improv groups and. You know, Upright Citizens Brigade, the original four, were incredible. I would, you probably would see them in the late '90s. You and I were both in New York in the late '90s, seeing yeah, comedy. early 2000s, yeah, early 2000s, where they would do ASCAT, and it would just be like, I can't believe, I literally can't believe that this is improvised. It's so good. Um, the Swarm was like that at UCB. The stepfather, stepfathers, which Gethard was in. Yeah. Beer Shark Sorry Mice. To- Beer Shark Mice. I mean, see, that's an example of like every once in a while, Beer Shark Mice get back together and do a show. Or even like it's sketch, but like the state is like yeah. outrageously. It was outrageously good, and Stella was outrageously yeah. good. There's certain groups where you're like, and to your point, like I don't know if they can stay together. There's too many dynamics that There's are splitting too many dynamics them apart. And people yeah. grow and people change, and, yeah. and and sooner or later they, you know. But there, it's it's almost like the, the improv world is just kind of like this uh, lava lamp of like breaking apart, coming back together. Yeah, pieces going over here, coming back together. But I think it is TJ and Dave is like that. You know, that's just a two person group, but like phenomenal. They've been together for I don't know 15 years. Are you going to do more improv now that you did this movie or are you done? Are you like okay I did it. That's well it. I had like a weekly show at UCB in New York for a while Mike Birbiglia's Dream and I'll probably come back with it because I just enjoy it so much. I enjoy the you know not being in my head. Yeah. How does I, it affect your writing? I think that it, I, I, it makes me um, it trains me to not censor myself. I think that one of the biggest mistakes any of us make as writers is that we hold ourselves back, that we judge our thoughts. That's why I was saying I like to write when I'm kind of half asleep because you don't judge your thoughts. You just Mm -hmm. write it all down. There's something about like sometimes you write something, as you guys know, you write something and you're like, if people saw this. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, I have hundreds of pages of notebooks that would end my career. Yeah. Yeah. But but in that sense it's sort of like just in that sense it's sort of like a diary, you know. It is a diary. Yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, some still of your lot, thoughts on paper. A yeah. lot of my best stuff is like is stuff that I write in my journal at night secretly, and then eventually I read through it and I'm like, I could turn to say that on stage. Well, what's the worst <laughs> thing you've written in the last six months? Oh gosh, I mean, my whole thing lately has just been about like what I write in my diaries that my you know, I have a daughter who's 14 months, and, and, you know, when you have a child, it's you're jealous of your daughter. Like, you're je- – like, because you're you – you know, you have your, your, your wife and your daughter, and they, they love each other so much, <laughs> and you're there too. <laughs> <laughs> you know, you're just like this milkless, pudgy loser <laughs> – you're essentially the vice president of the family. It's like huge title, no power, also oversees Congress. <laughs> and that, that's sort of like the essence of my journal for the last few months. And I'll probably end up writing a lot more about that. Just about how like you feel like envy towards your... Mike Birbiglia hates daughter, jealous yeah, yeah. of subjugation. Gotcha! Yeah. Oh, man! God damn it! I knew it! I should have... No, but it's... um. Yeah, it's tough. It's 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 you and you like with children. You just when you have a child, you just experience all these things where it's an unstabilizing experience, and that's actually what's wonderful about it and what's hard about it. It's 
It's like, or it's destabilizing. It takes, it, you know, that's why I didn't want to have a kid for a long time. It's why I didn't want to ha- get married for a long time. All these things I didn't want to do were, in a lot of ways, the best thing that could have ever happened to me. Which is to say, like, you know, one of the guiding principles when I wrote "Don't Think Twice" was like, what happens when life gets in the way of dreams? And in some ways, like that's what my experience has been like being married and having kids. It's like that's what that's my life and. My dream would be that everything is controlled and I work this many hours a day and this many hours a week and I'm, you know, I create this many movies per year, this many one person shows. And it's like, no, it's actually good to to shake that up and be like, maybe that's not going to happen. And if you did have that, I don't think, I just feel like people rarely know what's good for them. You know, people rarely know what's going to make them happy because. You just kind of have these idealized versions in your head of like, oh, if I do this thing and follow this ritual or follow this band, then everything will be amazing. And then you do it and you're like, I feel empty. I feel weird. Something's not right. We're all going to be dead in like 20 or 30 years anyway. (laughs) It's like, really? Jonah, I have some news. Oh, God, why now? (laughs) Well, (laughs) is it the cancer or the AIDS? Gotcha. Um, gotcha, Jonah. Oh, um, it's I don't have either? Well, at the end, we'll tell you. Right. We, uh, <laughs> tune in next week. Oh, we'll be right back. No, but it's like, you know, you, sometimes I think in those terms, it's like we're all going to be dead in 20 or 30 years. And it's like, I will be lucky if I make one thing that endures in some way. And so it's like, why should I be obsessing over us? A comedy? Like, I get so mad that Louis, like, I love Louis, but like, He's the only person who can pull off doing a special a year. Like, everyone else was like, me too. And it's like, <laughs> nope. Yeah. You should not be doing that. <laughs> can I say Slow something, Slow down, though? fella, I... <laughs> to be named later. You know, I got to... do lady. I do want to say something. I do want to say something without starting... I do, literally don't want to start any crazy thing because I, you know, I'm a huge fan of Louis. But there are times where I feel like the race to put out a special a year there are some there are moments or bits of his where i'm like oh i just i just wanted to see that more developed or i wanted it's, to see it's the same as woody allen movies well, I just, yeah exactly yeah. i just wanted to see a little more of that i mean that's just my personal preference like oh just one more year of like really because he's such a he's he, he's he's such a deep thinker yes. and he's such a he really does write complex bits and i mean i think to the race to get an hour out every year it's like some stuff just you know i think some stuff just sort of ends with like eh, and then i took a shit in her face you know and then it and i feel like oh that could have can i use that by the way yeah that's a good bit. okay yeah good. but again you know uh, you know i'm not not at all shitting on louis at all uh what i'm just saying it? i'm saying as a fan of his there are some bits that i feel like oh i wanted to see how much further that could that one could have well, gone people ask me that a lot like i'm doing interviews a lot of film journalists right now and a lot of them who followed sleepwalk with me and then watch this are like can we have it faster than four years for the next one and i'm like i don't know Has like, it i'm trying four years yeah 2012 2016 yeah holy shit yeah and it's like i i'm trying i'm going as fast as i can but at the same time like i want to make something for you that you'll watch the six- george r martin of comedy mike berbiglia yeah. i want to make something that you guys will watch six times and not once right yeah it's not. It's not a. It's not a volume thing. Yeah, I mean, there was a. 
there was a band I really liked uh, got into their first album came out and then they kind of started putting out an album a year and I I, I lost track and got overwhelmed with how yeah. many there were and I kind of didn't listen to them as much as the band that put out an album every four years. Well, what's Radiohead at? Like four or five years? I think so. No, they just oh no, in terms of their per how many per year or per decade or whatever. Yeah, uh, yeah, well, about the, that probably four or five. Yeah, yeah, yeah. it's a chunk of time. Yeah. To like experience I, life and be able. Well, to, King of Limbs came out in what 2011, 2010, 2011. Yeah. Those are six years. Yeah, yeah, and then the most recent one just came out. But in Rainbows, it was a few years before the last. Yeah, that was like four or five years before that. Wow. Yeah. I mean, it really just takes as long as it takes. It takes as long as it takes. Yeah. Yeah, yeah and that's what I get in all the interviews: is people going, "What's next?" And like I said earlier, it's like, yeah, I just want to hang out with my family. Yeah, and then hopefully something comes out. But that's the thing, uh, you know. It's, it's something like, comes to me. The world wants just—they just want their content. Yes. it seems they don't—they don't want to wait around for something that's really exciting and something that's been crafted and thought about more than a few times. That's before. what you know. Ritu said in one of his speeches. He goes, "I saw him at the, like Sundance Institute, and he was like." They take our art and they call it content. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and it was such an awesome statement. It's like, yeah, it's like what he's making is great. It's like it shouldn't be viewed as like that's a 90-minute piece of content. Yeah. yeah, but let's yeah, but I think we should also shouldn't kid ourselves that you know, most of what people are trying to do when they watch or listen to something or play a game or read a book is distract themselves from the shitstorm that this sort of like I mean, I know there's a lot of bad stuff in the world, but I do think a lot of it is, you know, I do think there's a lot of fear mongering in news media. Yeah. And I think because the level of news content has gone up You're right. so much, yeah. more distractions. That there are more, you know, it's like, it, and again, there are horrible things happening in the world, but it just paints this picture of just, it's grim, it's hopeless, everything is bleak, it's all about murder, and it's all about. You know, it's all about the worst things you can think of. And I really do think people are overwhelmed. And so the content, art has become content as a, as escapism, like a, as a daily escapism, you know? So it, I, I do kind of understand that. And I think as content creators, we <laughs> should sort of understand the fact that the audience does want and need to, to es- counterbalance, to counterbalance yeah. and to, and to escape and to find something that where they don't have to, you know, but there's there's so many people creating stuff that you know we can still take our time. We don't have to be the one person giving them everything. You know, it's like right. like you know Mike puts out a movie this year, and then you know like next year I think the the new Mike Mills movie comes out. And right. Mike Mills's movie like Beginners came out in 2010. Yeah. And you know it's one of my all time favorite movies. Oh my and god, I, it's incredible. I, we have the same composer. Oh really? Roger Neal. He's oh god. Yeah, but like the new. It's I'm glad that I had to wait, but in that time I got you know. Like a Birbiglia movie or uh, a Taika Waititi movie or, you or know, Noah something. Noah Baumbach movie. Yeah, or Noah Baumbach oh movie, God. something like that. Taika so. Waititi directing Thor. That's oh. crazy to me. That is crazy. Yeah, and then right wow. after that, he's going to make Swerwolves. Oh, my God. That's a sequel to What We Do in the Shadows. That's awesome. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yes, yes. I was so I excited that. to hear that he was directing Thor. Yeah. Like, I found out at Comic-Con, Kevin Feige was like, oh, it's being directed by this guy from New Zealand, Taika Waititi. I'm like, Taika Waititi is directing the Thor movie? That's yeah. incredible. Hunt for the Wilder People is fantastic, if you haven't seen I've it. I've heard that. And the other recommendation I have is Captain Fantastic. Oh, yeah. That's Captain the, Fantastic is phenomenal. Yeah, I just saw the trailer for that before and, Wilder and People. Tickled is great. There's yes. great indie films right now. Yeah, there's a ton right tickled, now. Have you seen Tickled? It'll blow. Oh, I've heard it. April Richardson mind. told me about it. I it's will. T- I will give it the ultimate recommendation. 
Don't read about it. Don't, just watch it. Don't watch yeah. the trailer. That, that's, just see it. Oh, I actually just said it's that a, sincerely. It's a just see it. It's a just see it movie. <laughs> Wait, was, I, I, Miranda Bailey was oh, a producer. Yep, she's one of our. Producers. So Miranda Bailey has been killing it lately. Yeah, like, there was your movie. There was uh, Swiss, Swiss Army, Army Man, Man, and then she Diary, was, of, a Diary of a Teenage Girl. Yeah. So I think yeah. ultimately the sort of the takeaway is uh, do the stuff you like. Yes. Uh, Take it seriously. Just do it. Don't judge it before you put it down on, you know, paint to canvas or pen to paper or typing to Evernote or whatever it is that you whatever it is that you do. And then, you know, try to enjoy it. I mean, you really should enjoy. I think really the older you get, the more it's like, oh, it's not about all these external things that are going to make you feel better. And you're going to try to fit a puzzle piece uh, that that shape is going to fit the puzzle piece of the hole in your soul. Yes. It's it's you really just kind of have to enjoy what you're doing and do you like it and are you proud of it? And, and take it from me, Mike Birbiglia, a person incapable of joy. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for the sound drop, buddy. We're going to be able to put the station ID on that. It's going to be really good. Station ID. Yeah. Uh, this is Z98. Thanks for listening. You're listening to Hardwick and the Jonah <laughs> on the Gotcha Podcast. Go, 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 gotcha. Coming up next. Coming up next. Bringing in the lead. <laughs> so, uh, uh, Don't Think Twice is actually already out in New York. Yep. As of the New York, of Los Angeles at the Landmark, and uh, Chicago at the Music Box. And then we'll, we're, you know, the more people come see it, the more cities we'll be in. Oh, question. Yeah. How will you, how do you personally, how will you define whether or not this movie was a successful endeavor? Thank you, my wife, <laughs> uh, for asking that question. <laughs> that discussion happens uh, three times a day uh, to this insatiable hole of a personality that I am. Um, the, <laughs> when, um, when will you stop? When will you stop? Uh, I'm going to... I I was texting with Judd like Judd Apatow a few nights ago. I said, oh, really? <laughs> Why? Why did you just say that? <laughs> you just threw your gla- your sunglasses down on the table I just, because I-, I said my friend's name. Yeah. Trying to call back to the name drop thing, and this is why it, people well, think it wasn't why- it wasn't Albert Brooks. It was John Apatow. It wasn't it? Was Dimitri Martin is who it was? <laughs> <laughs> okay, so he said, "I go." I, I I was like, he oh he said it's a hundred percent of Rotten Tomatoes is crazy. Like this is crazy. It was like a really nice compliment, and I wrote like. How do I turn it into box office? <laughs> and he said, "Don't stop." Yeah. Oh. And so that's kind of my life right now. I just can't stop because I really believe in it. I love it, and I, I, I and it's. I'm going to spend the next month just traveling the country, going to Seattle and Portland and Denver and uh, you know Boston and New York and L.A. and I'm just everywhere. I think you just have to take the victories the same way that you take the losses. I think it's easier to take the losses and don't turn your victories into losses. You know, <laughs> I think it's really hard. You know, for if if something really good happens and Lydia goes, oh, it's really amazing that it happened. I'm like, yeah, but it's not real because this was already. You know, it's like you justify out of it yeah. why it's not a win. And it's such a bad it's such a bad habit. And there, I don't. There's no valor in it. There's no valor in beating yourself up and ke- keeping your own uh, foot on your throat. I wrote a one of these uh, great quotes in the walls. Like, I think you have Scott Fitzgerald 
he said when I was writing my movie up on my wall, it said, uh, "Don't mistake a single defeat for the final defeat." Yeah, and I, that's I think that's part of the key. Is, yeah. You know, you, you tend to get down when you take a loss or whatever. It doesn't maybe it doesn't do well at the box office or this or that, and it's like. No, that's maybe it'll live on. You know, it'll hit a moment in cable or it'll hit a moment in whatever. It, people find it in 10 years. That, I, on this podcast, when you guys interviewed Cusack, that really blew my mind when he was like, I don't know for 10 years if a movie is going to hold up. Yeah. Or, yeah. or be, you know, he goes, I think he said to you, like, people quote back to me, like one crazy summer and like at the time like we all thought it was a disaster right and that, that like really stuck with me yeah and that they, cusack podcast if people haven't heard the interview listen to that he was great yeah he oh was my really gosh great. it was like we you know we the rob's on the house with a thousand corpses movie we shot that rob shot in two in the year 2000 and at the time it got shit on it didn't do very well but it's one of the things that people now are like Oh my God, that movie is like a legendary. And Rob was like, "All it took was ten years. Yeah, you know, all yeah. it took was ten years to go by." Or even I found out Citizen Spinal, Kane. Spinal Tap too. Sorry, no, Citizen no. Kane's a better example. <laughs> <laughs> but Spinal Tap too. Yeah. But Spinal Tap I'd is watch Spinal Tap on a daily basis. Spinal Tap's kind of the Citizen Kane of comedies. Of comedies, you yes, know. But right. both in the same, you know, Citizen Kane got basically crushed by mm-hmm. Hearst, uh, <laughs> and he was right to do it. He was right to do it. <laughs> is that? Uh, did did Hearst did Hearst himself take it down? I think he did, or I think a lot of campaigns. Oh and so, and but he was right to do it. He was right to do it. And, uh, <laughs> Chris, why would you say that? I just think he was right to do it. I'm just on the right side of things. I, no, he I was think. the Ru- Rupert Murdoch of his time. No, I, let's not get crazy. Let's not get crazy. Yeah, yeah. He was just a sensible man that would yeah. have done I what any like, of us know, would have done. Some people in say the yellow journalism was a good move. Oh, no, well, yeah, anyone yeah. would have done the same thing yeah, yeah. in that situation. Making hemp illegal. But you know what made it. Uh, what made it popular was when it started running on television like oh, wow. 20 years later or 15 years later. And same thing with Twilight Zone because I've been watching Twilight Zones at night in bed. Uh, and still strangely applicable. So many so many of us think like, oh, our, our, our problems are modern problems and they're unlike right, any other. Right. But you watch Twilight Zone and they're basically all morality tales and they're all – It's Black Mirror. It is Black Mirror, and they're all so applicable to yes. today with just yes. a slightly different filter. And Ben, that's a show that didn't do very well when it was on television. Is that right? Yes. Oh, yeah, wow. that's why they like. Every, I was reading uh, that you know every year it was like the show would get canceled and then it would come back and it'd wow. be on the edge. And Rod Serling was kind of this angry. He was kind of known as this angry man in Hollywood. Yeah, he died. He died young of a heart attack. He had a heart attack at fifty and died. And Friday Night Lights. Fr- I mean, there's so much development. Friday Night Lights. Yeah. No, no. I'm just saying like, to, to build on the points. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, yeah. There's so many things. There's like that. so many things yeah. that you just you don't know, and it's because you can't control the the, the the external variants. You really all you have is the moment to kind of enjoy the thing that you're doing. And I won't. Thanks for having me. <laughs> <laughs> this has been the Mike which dovetails yeah. beautifully into enjoy your burrito yeah. <laughs> quite literally I always love having you on and I really appreciated you know it meant the world to me that you uh, you asked me about my special and I sent it to you before it came out and like the next that night you was you watched you had watched yeah, it yeah. which was amazing and it was it really meant a lot to me that you because I have so much respect for what you do and so mm-hmm. I just it, it, felt, it felt very it felt 
it was one of those things where you're like, oh, I feel validated by someone that I really like. Aww. And it, it, it was really nice. It was really nice. I appreciate it. The feeling is mutual, and hopefully our uh, competition that we both know <laughs> is in the air will be fruitful for both of us. Mm. I've never directed a movie. I, I can direct a movie. I don't want to direct a movie. I'm not going to direct a movie. I'm not a That'll major, get you there. I'm not a major media empire. I mean, I'm not. <laughs> I'm not a singular major media empire not, that gets New York I Times pieces know. about me. I don't. Uh, <laughs> it, was just, it was just one. It was just the one piece. It wasn't. I don't. Can't take compliments. What do we do? We like to trying to take a compliment. I, this, no one's going to get this reference, but it sort of reminds me of uh, there's a moment uh, in the um, in the sequel to um, uh, fuck my brain is blanking. I've never saw the first one. God damn it! Kick ass. Joss, it's the series. No, it's crossing. It's a vampire series <laughs> with the lichens and the werewolf. And the oh, lichen. Underworld. Underworld. Okay. There, there's a scene in the in this in the sequel to Underworld where. He is now like this this vampire werewolf hybrid, but he hasn't really accepted it yet. So he, he's really hungry. So he goes and he eats this food, and he's like, "Oh, that, oh!" He's really satisfied. And a second later, he's like, wah, wah, wah. "I feel like that's what it feels it's like, like a cat. for people. Like, yeah, for people like us to take like a you compliment. Can't feed a cat too yeah. much food because they throw it up. Yeah. But man, do they oh. want that food? Yeah, it just comes right back. <laughs> boy, oh boy, can't like stop a, him from that like food. Like a street cat. Yeah, we want the thing that makes us ill. Yeah. I don't know. Just enjoy your life. There's nothing. There's no. I told someone at Comic Con. There's no. There's nothing wrong with just being okay. There's nothing wrong with it. It is okay to be okay. You're going to be dead in 20 years. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> nothing matters, me. and that's a okay. <laughs> as, as Sarah Silverman says, we're all just mo- molecules, sweetie. Yeah. <laughs> I guess that's it. We did it. Mike Bobiglia, thank you for joining us on the Gotcha Podcast. Thanks we really for appreciate me the first first edition of the Gotcha Podcast. I think it's going to be really big. Yeah, We're so. just going to get people on and get them to say things like they resent their daughter and that they uh, <laughs> all the people that they don't like who perform at Madison Square yeah, Garden. Like, and... uh, me, Is that uh, one person's uh, name? Or just trying to see uh, if I get any spark of any of these names. Uh, Dice. <laughs> 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 yeah, it's Dice. Dice is the person I'm mad about. That poster. Ooh. Oh, if I had that career. <laughs> <laughs> we all grew up wanting to be Dice, and then we ended up being a bunch of nerds and <laughs> talking on a podcast. Um, hickory, dickory, dock. Yep. Um, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. <laughs> Larry, wait, wait! I got a callback to Larry the Cable Guy as a as a trained actor, but I can't come up with a good callback for it. Well, Sir, Sir Lawrence, Sir Lawrence, uh, Sir Lawrence, the Cable Gentleman, the Cable Fellow, the Cable, the Cable Fellow, Sir Lawrence. I wish I Sir could have La- had that in an organic it, way. So if, still, if you got it now, Sir Lawrence, the Telly Fellow, the Telly Fellow, <laughs> the Tenno Cable. I think it's Cable. Um, yeah. The BBC commentator. Yes, Fellow. Wow. Just uh, let's just have this fade down, yeah. As though the conversation's continuing, like yeah. on Charlie Rose, they keep talking. Yeah. Oh, okay. Uh, what do you think they talk about? <laughs> well, I don't know about you, but I'm gonna go downstairs and I'm gonna drink that. Oh yeah, the I'm, gonna, I'm, gonna, I'm sorry. Who's you better keep that in, Charlie Rose. <laughs> <laughs> there goes your Charlie Rose potential. 
I just feel like oh my god, too much. Yeah, I don't know. It's like when Kevin Nealon, remember, there was some sportscaster character he would do on SNL. Brent Musburger. Yeah, that's right. He would just hold his oh my god fingers down. Brent Musburger. <laughs> like... god. Oh my god, I totally have to go. Get out of here. Now leaving Nerdist.com. Enjoy your burrito. It's all a lighthearted nightmare on our podcast, Morbid. We're your hosts. I'm Alina Urquhart. And I'm Ash Kelly. And our show is part true crime, part spooky, and part comedy. The stories we cover are well-researched. He claimed and confessed to officially killing up to 28 people. With a touch of humor. I'd just like to go ahead and say that if there's no band called Malevolent Deity, that is pretty great. A dash of sarcasm and just garnished a bit with a little bit of cursing. This motherfucker lied like a liar like a liar and if you're a weirdo like us and love to cozy up to a creepy tale of the paranormal or you love to hop in the way back machine and dissect the details of some of history's most notorious crimes you should tune in to our podcast morbid follow morbid on the wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts you can listen to episodes early and ad free by joining wondery plus in the wondery app or on apple podcasts